This introduction to the Red Pill documentary by Cassie J. explores gender roles from a biblical perspective and discusses how Christians, or anyone really, should watch documentaries. Are you just watching? Episode 82, The Red Pill, Part 1. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're doing something a little bit different for us this time. It is a movie, sort of. Well, it's still a movie. Yeah, it classifies as a movie. It was a, I don't think it was actually in theaters. I couldn't find any uh, indication that it actually went to theaters. Uh, but it is on uh, Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And I discovered this. It's... Uh, a documentary about the men's rights movement, which I had never heard of before. Me neither. And and you're a man, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, I think it's good because we have both perspectives to talk about here, though. Um, what's interesting about the red pill, well, about the men's rights movement that was displayed in the red pill is is kind of a um, a counter- a movement based on how far feminism has gone in our culture. And when you have the radical feminists, then, you know, men start to feel displaced and they start their own protest and, and kind of a counter protest to what the feminists are doing. <laughs> and I had no clue such a thing had happened, but I had I had a clue as being a woman in this today's society, how radical the feminists have become. And I, they don't represent me. I've known that since college. And so when I heard Cassie J in an interview talking about the red pill, it made me curious. And so I went and watched it. And one of the things that it really impressed on me was that this was a very honest film. She wrote, she, she put together a very honest film. You have to give mm -hmm. her that. Honest in that she went in with an agenda. She was honest about what her agenda was. And she discovered truths that uh, changed her mind. Yeah. And I, I like how she actually used the video diaries mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the presentation to show, you know, the, the changing of her mind. Right. And, and she went down a rabbit hole. She took a red pill. I mean, well, and we can talk about those metaphors later. They're both used extensively through her documentary. When I finished watching it, it kind of hooked me. And when I finished watching it, the only thing that really came into my mind was the fact that there was a worldview missing from the whole discussion, and it was my worldview. And I mm -hmm. had answers to some of the, the questions that were being raised on both sides of the debate. And I felt like after I finished watching it, I was like, we could do a podcast on this because this really seriously needed an application of a Christian worldview to it. Now, granted, neither side of the debate that is discussed in the red pills in, as a documentary would want the Christian perspective. So <laughs> we're applying a perspective that nobody's, nobody would want other than Christians probably, but that's what we're for. Yeah. I, I think the uh, Christian worldview in this would received the same uh, vehement opposition that uh, other evangelical Bible-believing controversies do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
a, a certain baker comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things that I kind of want to go into this discussion kind of thinking and for the the listeners who will be tuning into this episode who have not seen the red pill and those who have, I guess, this is one of those ones where, you know, there's no narrative going on. There's no story we're going to ruin. There's no spoilers. Um, <laughs> this is just a documentary. A lot of the information that's in the documentary, you don't even have to watch the documentary to get. She released a mm -hmm. lot of her raw files in YouTube. So you can just look up Cassie J in YouTube and, and find the interviews. You don't even have to have her spin on them. You can just listen to the straight interviews, which are really intriguing. I've done, I've listened to quite a few of them. And one of the things that I wanted to do with this episode was not so much dive into the debate, you know, choose winners and losers between men and women in our culture. I want to just apply the Christian worldview to the debate. And so I think it'll be a little bit different way to analyze a, a film instead of telling, saying whether we agree with Cassie J at the end or we disagree mm -hmm. with her at the end or her stats are off or she didn't do her research or there's a lot of people already raising those critiques. And I don't know that I have the, the research at my fingertips to say whether or not she's right on any of these things or whether she did her research right or whether she applied to stats that were, were skewed or whatever. I would imagine there may have been a little bit of spin on some of her stats. I don't know. And I'm not here to, to debate those. Mm -hmm. But when I posted in our, our discussion group, which if you haven't joined, you should join <laughs> on Facebook, uh, I posted that we would be recording on the red pill. And one of our listeners and uh, members of our forum uh, posted a question. And I thought I would read, since we so rarely um, apply the feedback of our listeners, mm -hmm. uh, I thought I would start off our discussion by asking his question, because I think it was a very valid question. And it's something that we as Christians need to consider. Chris Turner in our Are You Just Watching discussion group, mm -hmm. he put in, I'd like to hear about how to watch documentaries because it is real people talking and it's not scripted entertainment. We give it a lot of weight, particularly when our emotions are invoked. How can we keep our focus and ensure our focus is on what is scriptural, what is true, this is particularly true when a documentary tries to change the way people think, which in its view is for the best. When our beliefs are challenged, we must be careful to both consider new information and God's view. Right. And I think that was very insightful of him to say that. I would caveat that in saying we should be applying that everywhere, not just to documentaries, to yeah. everything that we allow into our homes and into our minds it should be not just entertainment, not just entertainment. It's documentaries. I know there's my dad is one. He just loves to sit and watch the history channel. And <laughs> I, for one, sometimes get frustrated with it because I feel like when you're watching documentaries, you're not necessarily watching truth, but it's being presented as truth, being presented as factual truth. And right. I am naturally skeptical I always want to know, okay, what are you really saying? Or well, how did you twist this to make your point? You know, I'm skeptical. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing for all Christians to go into anything like that. Because if you approach it as a natural skeptic, 
then you're ready to see the holes in yeah. in the reasoning. Yeah, it's I've been watching the uh the Cars That Made America, which was part of the History Channel's uh Car Week mm-hmm. uh, about 6 months ago or so. And it's it's a uh a historical look at from, you know, the the very first cars even before the uh Ford and his Model T uh all the way up through uh through uh modern day. Mm-hmm. Um but it's clear that whoever wrote the uh the program uh believes that Henry Ford was an incredible jerk. <laughs> and that may be true. It may be, yeah. But uh, they in the in the documentary they're presenting him in, in a very um, sour light, and you know there's so much more to a person than we can see in in uh, a 16 hour miniseries or uh, whatever it, it happens to be. He's got 80 years of life uh, where he's established himself as as a, a person, so. I think you can't really produce something like that without some bias, and uh, some of it may be intentional, but I think there's always going to be the unintentional bias in everything that people present just oh, yeah. because it, it needs to inform their worldview. Right. And our our worldview informs the information we follow, the things that interest us. Yeah. And <laughs> which I think is Internet. what... Yeah. I think that's what is so interesting about why Cassie J went into this film because she says at the beginning, she kind of gives her, her little uh, biography of why, why did I even do this kind of thing? And she was definitely very much an SJW and feminist. Cause if you look at the films she did previous to the red pill, they were the kinds of things that I probably couldn't watch <laughs> because I would disagree so vehemently with what she was saying or what she was presenting. And this one was different in that she went in with that kind of an agenda and she's very upfront with it. She discovered the whole men's rights movement because she was researching the rape culture and mm-hmm. it it kind of skewed into well, what, are, what are these women haters, you know, that have these websites and why would they even have followers and what is the deal here? And then she decided to interview one of them and it just took off from there. And I think that what interests me about that is that she did go in with an agenda, but she didn't hold true to her agenda. She allowed the information that was coming to her to change her mind. And she listened and then she listened some more instead of the, the quick and easy answer. And we should all try that, I think, a little bit more in our in our lives. Even when we disagree with people, listen to them. Mm-hmm. And that may, not necessarily with the idea that we're going to change our mind about how we feel about certain topics. But if we actually listen to people, maybe we can understand them better so that we understand where they're coming from and how to reach them. And and how to form a bridge between what we know is right and what they know is right. Not necessarily so, to compromise, but to better communicate. Well, we can't accurately reflect God if we're if we don't listen. Mm-hmm. Uh James one, nineteen through twenty says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to anger. Mm-hmm. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite vo- verses. And I think that this this um, documentary kind of shows that a little bit, kind of demonstrates <laughs> that a little bit. because Boy, does it ever. Well, you, you see the people who are screaming and and cursing people out simply because of disagreement and what they consider to be the agenda of the other side. And then you see Cassie J demonstrating what it is to just sit and listen and, mm-hmm. and let that inner voice that's telling her, oh, no, that's wrong. I don't like that. I, I, I want to come up with a, a response to that and just shutting that down and just listening. It is a good contrast. Yeah. And I think that one of the most touching things about this documentary is, is the video diaries that she does because we get to hear some of those inner thoughts that she's squelching that voice when she's actually doing the interviews, but she lets it come out in her video diary Mm -hmm. and to hear her struggle with the information that's coming to her. um, That was very enlightening. She really does seem to be in the video diaries. She really does seem to be struggling quite a bit with the, with the challenges that she's encountering to what she accepted as reality. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's heartwarming to see her being open. Um, it, especially when, when you compare it to, uh, what her, her stance ha- has been in the past. It's, mm-hmm. it's nice to see her accepting that she may be, um, you know, out on a limb with uh, with some of her beliefs. But I think that one of the things that we have to take, in, take into consideration whenever we're watching a documentary like this, and, and we can keep going on about Cassie and, and um, just the way she reacts with information a little later, but to go back to Chris's question about how do we weigh what real people's experiences when you watch these documentaries, mm-hmm. I, I think it comes back to um, something like what you would read in Colossians, uh, Colossians 2, 8, where it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So we have to be careful not to let the world and its deception and its philosophy twist the way we accept Christian doctrine. Yeah. And isn't that really what's what has happened with these radical movements mm-hmm. um, using the the radical feminists or even the radical uh, I can't remember it at the end of the, the documentary. She mentioned a couple more radical men's rights groups, mm-hmm. but the people have uh, drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, their their philosophy has been taken captive by this empty deceit. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what Paul was talking about in Colossians. Yeah. They're fighting over, I, I guess it, you could, you could use a Don Quixote metaphor. They're, <laughs> they're tilting windmills, you know, it's yep. like, it's like they've created monsters in their mind and they're fighting against monsters that if you, we actually got together and sat down and talked about it, a lot of those monsters would evaporate and, and both sides on both extreme sides. And they've they've turned what is what is uh, I guess a common gender roles into into monsters. I guess that's just yeah. the easiest way to put it. Now I I came up with some questions, and if you can think of any more, feel free to add them. Of how mm-hmm. we can evaluate 
uh, the information that comes to us in in a documentary such as this. And this and some of these questions may not apply to all documentaries. They may not apply to your history of cars or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it, like Chris was pointing out, and not all documentaries are, and even you pointed out, not mm-hmm. all documentaries are seeking to change your mind on anything. Right. But this is just some some questions to consider when you're watching a documentary that I came up with these off the top of my head. So we'll, we'll see how they work. How do we decide who has the correct opinion or who is giving the correct facts? And this is a, a problem we have in today's culture is somehow twisting opinion into fact. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's a fact. <laughs> and <laughs> We have a really hard time, and I think it starts in our education system. We have a really hard time discerning the difference between opinion and fact. And so that's just one of the things that you have to ask yourself when you're watching a documentary is like, where are the facts? And am I hearing somebody's opinion or am I hearing a documented fact? And in this instance, as I said earlier, I don't know how much of what was presented in the red pill is a documented fact and how much of it is an opinion. Yeah, and, especially during the interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, particularly the interviews with Paul Elam and the other two uh, men's rights activists. They lay out uh, statistics as, as if they're fact. And, and we have to we have to trust to the integrity of the filmmaker in this case. I mean, if what they are saying is not factually correct. I don't know how it would have I changed it, her mind. It, I I think it falls to her to point it out, mm-hmm. to research it and point it out in the film itself. Yeah, and the and thing if is, that doesn't happen, then I think the the integrity of the filmmaker would be you know called to uh, question that, and the fact that she went in with the idea that she was going to expose these guys as as being bad, mm-hmm. and it, if they were able to change her mind, they must have done a fairly good job of presenting you know, evidence that changed her mind because she was looking, she was looking for falsehoods. Not Mm -hmm. that that doesn't necessarily mean that what they told her was the truth, but it was true enough from her perspective to change her way of thinking. So, yeah, as I said, I, I can't debate those statistics. I don't know enough. And so we'll, we'll set that question aside. Has the information been chosen and presented in a way to manipulate the viewer's emotions? I would say in the instance of the red pill, yes. Yeah, I I think it's necessary for that type of presentation mm-hmm. because they they just wouldn't accomplish uh it it wouldn't have the the cinematic impact right. without it. Right. Can the presented evidence be interpreted multiple ways and does the documentary explore that possibility? And I would say for the red pill, yes. I would say there is presented evidence that you could interpret multiple ways. And I do believe she attempted to show both sides. Yeah. I think she did a really good job with that part, actually, Mm -hmm. especially when you're dealing with two remarkably similar opposing views Mm -hmm. where they actually discuss um, in the interview process, they discuss how each side uses the same fact at least twice. Mm hmm. Uh, to support their own cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she called attention to that. And I, I, I like that as well. And there was a definite shift in the documentary where she had interviewed all these MRAs and then she turned around, I need a feminist voice. And so she brought in some of the more feminist activists to talk to. 
Mm-hmm. And and then towards the end, she was going back and forth between them on, right. on different topics. And so I really felt like she she made the effort to present at least two sides of the of the issue, which is why we were discussing it, because I feel like there's a third side. And that's why we're discussing it. Mm-hmm. OK, are there sides drawn and does one side have to lose for the other side to win or is there a middle ground? <laughs> That's always a question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is there a middle ground? There's a high ground in this case. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting is there was a question posed um, several times, uh, I think by by at least one of the sides that she was interviewing. It says, uh, why don't the two movements work together to dis- to stop domestic violence? Because they both have determined that domestic violence is wrong. Why don't mm-hmm. they work together? And that was a question that was posed multiple times. Because they just can't get along. They can't get they can't get along. They and I felt like she presented that the men's rights movement would if the feminist movement would meet them in the middle. But the feminist movement continues to claim that only women are victimized. And so they weren't and I'd never heard the men say that women weren't victimized. That's the thing. So mm-hmm. I, I think that there was a middle ground I think one of the sides refused to see the middle ground. I think the other side would have been willing to. Yeah. They didn't want to leave their position to uh to you know to join the middle ground. They mm-hmm. they would rather wallow in their victim in their victimhood on both sides mm-hmm. than uh meet in the middle and and seek a uh, amicable resolution. Okay. Is the conclusion targeted or open to the viewer's discretion? I think in the case of the red pill, I think that she tried to leave it open. But she gave her conclusion. Yeah, for me the the red pill was about her change. Um Yes, there it she is seeking to uh to provide the information so that folks can know, you know, what's driving the MRA mm-hmm. movement. But uh, for me, the the end the end of the documentary was much more about her change from feminist to leaving the camp. I guess moderate. Yeah, yeah. She stepped out of the camp. She says, in in she didn't mince words about it. She says, I'm I don't know what else to do with this information, but I know that I'm no longer a feminist. Yeah. So she stepped out of that camp because of what she discovered. But I think she she was willing to leave it up at least to the viewer's discretion as to what they would do with the information because she said beyond her no longer being a feminist she didn't know what to do with it and yep. and I think that by saying that she kind of left it open ended for the viewer's discretion as well and is the viewer expected to accept the facts as presented or encouraged by the conclusion to do further research on his or her own hmm. this drove me to do further research. But not so much on the topic in discussion, but on how I would apply my worldview to the topic under discussion. I probably could have gone and started looking up stats and on domestic violence and, you know, court custody, kid child custody and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I wasn't driven to look into that information more. I just was more interested in uh, how I would talk about it from a Christian worldview. But part of that is because that's the way I watch things now. 
mm-hmm. because of doing this podcast and uh, just my nature of wanting to review review things, I, I feel like that's the way I walk away from everything is how am I going to apply a Christian worldview to this? Yeah, for me, this, uh, I don't feel like I was in, really engaged any further than the the intellectual um, pursuit of the of the film itself. Mm-hmm. But you didn't go after it on your own. It was something I asked you to watch. So that was probably yeah, part of well, it. It's, you know, a, a huge part of it is that this is one of those topics for me that is beyond my ken. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know I am well aware of uh, the the issues with men's parental rights. Uh, I mean, I know men who have struggled with custody issues with women who are, uh, based on the information I have, clearly unsuited mm-hmm. to be the uh, the custodial parent. Right, and it's frustrating, but it's it's god's fix i mean it's a a product of a fallen world and and i'm no more likely to be able to fix that than i am to bring uh peace between israel and palestine (laughs) yeah yeah so um i I guess it's sort of like an anti-confrontational thing for me i i don't want to dive into the the rabbit hole you can't fix it, so why go down that? Uh, yeah, not, not only can I not fix it, but it would. Uh, I, I've mentioned on the show before that uh, my sister and brother-in-law uh, are both pastors in the Reformed Church of America, and uh, the RCA or ordains women, mm-hmm. which uh, I believe to be contrary to uh, Paul's instructions. In um, in Timothy and uh, various other places, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but she has her own justification for it, and it's one of those things where we have talked about once and um, have agreed basically to disagree. <laughs> agreed to uh, stay in our 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 camps, and you know, like the like the Frenchman and then the Holy Grail. I, I fought in your general direction. We'll, we'll joke about it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she's wrong and she knows I'm wrong and that's where we stay. <laughs> but um it, I feel like if I dive into this men's rights uh rabbit hole then it's just going to rekindle that for me. Mm-hmm. The whole complementarianism versus uh egalitarianism and uh I, I you know I just don't want to go there I guess. <laughs> Well, then I will go there for us as we make this discussion, because <laughs> it is a theological issue in the church and yeah. it, and it does need to be addressed because it goes to God's uh, perfect picture of what the relationships between men and women should be. And mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to deal with, because the red pill, the whole reason for the discord that we see in the red pill is the fallen world's application of uh, the the role models, the, gen- the the fact that men and women are vastly different from each other, and but yet they they have common problems. And instead of looking for unity and and things that we have in common, we we use those differences to tear each other apart. And yeah. and that is the fallen world. 
But as Christians, we should, we should be looking for the biblical ideal because that's how we're commanded to live. So we can look at how dysfunctional the, the world is and then look to scripture to see how, number one, why does that dysfunction exist? And number two, how can we fix it in a Christian environment? And we're always going to struggle because even as Christians, we have sin. But yeah. th- this is this is what caught my attention so much when I watched this documentary. I've never been a feminist. This has never been my camp. So I did not go into the red pill with the same philosophy that Cassie J did because I already believed that feminism has gone way, way, way too far in our culture. It mm. had... It started out as something good a long time ago, but has, I mean, I, I dearly love my ability to vote in, in political elections. And I dearly love the fact that I can go to work and choose an occupation that interests mm-hmm. me. And I, and I'm not stuck um, doing the, the soft roles like teach, which I'm would be a lousy teacher or <laughs> home make, which I obviously cannot do single. And, uh and all the various other things that, you know, 100 years ago were the only respectable occupations for women. So their their feminism had a role. And I am very grateful to the old feminists who who marched and, and the suffragettes who uh, went to so much trouble to protest and to get us the right to vote and to live our lives the way we want. But I think... Yeah, it, I, I want to stress that there are still valid issues out there. I think most of them are not in the U.S. though, and we, and we can have that argument later. But uh, yeah. I I think that women in the United States have amazing freedom. Oh, definitely. And I and I think that the feminists have taken. Uh, they they're just not willing to see where where it's okay to stop that that we have freedom. There are still problems. I'm not saying there aren't, but as as a class we're not oppressed in the united states oh oh yeah it, there's oppression is definitely not a word i would use yeah and there is oppression in the rest of the world but in the united states women are not oppressed and i think mm-hmm. that feminism has gone i think what they they referred to it as third wave feminism the radical feminist um they're they don't represent me and they never have and i've mm-hmm. met quite a few of them in real real life when i was in college and I found it very distasteful and their presentation in this film made them even more distasteful. So I, (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. I can definitely agree with that. So that's where I went into this is that I, I was already kind of in the MRA's boat on. Yeah. It's, I was, I was too. I mean, a lot of the information that uh, Cassie was surprised by in the, uh, that she encountered while she was doing the filming, I had already just accepted as normal, mm-hmm. um, primarily the uh, the parental rights figures. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been equal parts horrified and intrigued by the fact that a biological father has no right to prevent an abortion. Mm-hmm. And it appeared from some of the information that just tears my heart out. Yeah. And some of the information they presented not even can prevent an adoption, which is kind of scary as well. You know, the mom doesn't want the baby. Even even when he can provide a sound home. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. In some states, it looks like the father has no rights to the child at all. And that just kind of blows my mind. 
Yeah. The other thing that kind of came out to me, and I personally have not been around men who have been abused, but I know what it happens. And for, mm-hmm. for the complete disregard of the feminists that were interviewed in this documentary saying that men do not get abused. To me, it's like standing in a room, covering your eyes and putting your fingers in your ears and, you know, screaming at the top of your lungs because you don't want to see it because it yeah. it does happen. And I feel like the fact that they were so dismissive of reality just, and I think that may have been one of the things that convinced Cassie so much because sitting through these interviews, you know, they were pointing out real people who had gone through real hardships, like, mm-hmm. like the story about the, the young man who took his own life because he was losing custody of his child. I mean, yeah. family court drove this guy to commit suicide and, you know, just some of these documented stories of, of men that had been through like the, the young man who had been sexually assaulted by a woman in a group home and yeah. she still worked there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not just anecdotal evidence yeah. that, that she presents either. I mean, they she had FBI crime statistics that showed uh, almost no gender disparity in domestic violence. Mm. Yeah. And that actually surprised me. I, I expected there to be more disparity than there actually was. Yeah. I think they should said uh, one in three women and one in four men. Yeah. That's, that's pretty high and a, a little scary to think about. Mm-hmm. I've seen in my neighborhood, uh, one day I heard screaming and yelling and I went out on my front porch and the house across the diagonally across the street from me, a man came out of the front door yelling back into the house and you could hear a woman screaming inside and he had no more taken five or six steps away from the front door and something came smashing through the plate glass window right beside the door. She literally Hmm. threw something heavy enough to break a plate window at him. And he stayed out in the yard until the police came because he was scared of her. Yeah. They make that an interesting point in the movie too, that Mm -hmm. uh, when men are in that situation, they have to be very careful Mm -hmm. to be as absolutely non confrontational uh, as possible. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or they'll get blamed. And yep. I mean, I think uh, one of the guys said that he had actually been told by a police officer, if she breaks a fingernail hitting you, you will be arrested. Mm-hmm. And that just blows your mind. I, I understand. I, I kind of went into this going, well, yeah, I've seen it. So, of course, it exists. Mm-hmm. And one of the interviews that I listened to, the lady appeared in the documentary, but there were extensive interviews with her in the raw files that were very interesting. And she was she was the one that talked about the men's shelter uh, in in the UK. Um, mm, yeah, the one who founded the. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said that that women have the same issue that men have. If you're raised in an abusive home, that's the only way you know to react. And so, mm-hmm. women can be just as violent as men can be. So it's it's just one of those situations where if you don't accept the fact that women can be violent, I, I don't know where society gets this picture of women as nonviolent, because if you watched the red pill, all you had to do was see the feminist protesting outside an MRA event to know that women can be violent. And <laughs> they may not necessarily take it to hitting, but their words can be extremely violent and they can be very much in your face and very shrill. And I 
don't know where the society has gotten this idea that women can be violent because they definitely can be. Yeah. And it's not just physical violence. Mm -hmm. But that is dealing more with the issues. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about and to start by talking about is God's God's plan for the gender roles, because some of the things that I heard them protesting in this documentary, either side were the, the classic gender roles that we were all raised with. Yep. And the vast majority of those, because we are a Western culture that is founded on Judeo-Christian principles, a good many of those come from the Bible. And so I just wanted to, you know, kind of run us through really quickly how the gender, gender plays out in scripture. And so starting in Genesis 2, which is kind of like the, the narrowed down, uh, more detailed account of creation, we skip past all the cre- the creation of the um, of the garden and all of that, and we're going, right. we're going to go straight to verse eighteen. It says, "Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him.'" And I'm going to skip a a couple verses there, but this is where God, you know, creates all the animals. Mm-hmm. And it says, "And then the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens." And to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And this is actually repeated by Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's defending uh, his position against divorce in Mark ten five through eight. He says, and Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. And he was talking about divorce, that they, they could divorce their wives. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave, leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here's the deal. This is what scripture is saying. Man and woman were created to complement each other, to be a complete whole. Not the (laughs) same, but they come together in like puzzle pieces. They fit together. And they're not the same piece, but they go together to create a consistent whole. And that is a beautiful picture of what a relationship between a man and a woman, we, we fill each other's holes and it's, it's a match set. It's a pepper shaker. Right. And when, when you are separate, you're missing something because you're missing that, that helper. I mean, God created woman to be man's helper and, and woman fulfills a need that man has and vice versa. Man fulfills needs that women have. And if we, we try to, fit ourselves into the wrong role, then we're, we won't fit because that's not what we were designed to be. Yeah. It, it's not like one is better than the other mm-hmm. or one is um, more honorable than the other or one is more skilled than the other. It, it's just that we are equipped for different roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and those are set forward quite frequently in scripture as well. Now, before we deal with the Christian model for marriage, we have to explain what happened in Eden because God created that perfect complement 
but then Adam and Eve sinned. So <laughs> uh, in Genesis three sixteen through 19, God has to kind of punish them a little bit for mm-hmm. their sin. And he hands out what I, what I find very fascinating is he hand out, hands out separate curses to the woman than he does to the man. Mm-hmm. There's different punishments involved. The first one, obviously, we women know very well. It's we'll have pain <laughs> in childbirth. Um, the whole cycle, not just childbirth, but the whole cycle of menstruation and all of that stuff is a pain. And it's it's something that God gave us to remind us that we're fallen women. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what it is, unfortunately. The other one is, and that's phrased differently in different translations, but it basically, in it comes out as the women will be contrary to their husbands. And I've heard scholars talk about this, this phrase, uh, you know, from the, like the original Hebrew. And they're saying that it means that they strive after the authority that they, they want to take away the authority of the man. And yeah. basically what that means is we'll never be happy subjugated underneath man's authority. And, I quite honestly can see that played out every day and even the most meek of wives. So it's not something that even the radical feminists have to struggle with. It's we all have to struggle with it because it's something God cursed us with is that we are not content and happy with the authority of our husbands. We want that authority for ourselves. And that's part of our curse. Now, what's interesting is women got two curses. Man really got a pretty much all encompassing one curse is that Hmm. he would have to labor hard for sustenance and provision. That was the the cursed is the ground that, you know, the thorns and the thistles, and you'll have to, by sweat of the brow, you'll have to um, work it. And what I find interesting about that is when you watch the MRAs talk about the oppression that men suffer in our society, almost all of it was centered around that. Not all of it, but a lot of it was, you know, that they... They're expected to do the dirty work. They're expected to do the dangerous work. They're expected to um, put their lives on the line. All of that stuff. That is part of... Yeah, number... They kept going back to the the mortality rates that men face in employment, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of true that we, we kind of have set our men up in our culture to be disposable. And it's the women who are protected. And that's just always been that way and they question that you know why has that always been that way and i think it boils down to um the you know the original couple that you know mm-hmm. god cursed man, man with you know hard labor basically because he lived at ease in the garden and he chose to to listen to his wife and sin and he was cursed with this hard labor and Women have their own form of hard labor. I mean, labor has a yeah. connotation there. But uh, <laughs> I think that, that that shows where how the curse has impacted both sides of this debate and why that debate is because of the curse, because you can actually see how those those portions of that curse work into the debate we see being talked about in the Red yeah. Pill. Now... The disciples, Jesus and the disciples both gave us, you know, a position on relationships between men and women. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, something that women as Christians in the church, I hear struggle with a lot. It comes right down to our wedding vows that we vow to obey our husbands. And yeah. this the, in, in 1 Peter 3, 1, 7, and I'm not going to actually read these. You can look them up. They'll be in our show notes or you know, it's first Peter three, one, seven, one through seven, pull out your Bible. (laughs) 
But it says that wives are to be subject to their husbands, be respectful, modest, and gentle. And I can guarantee you that that goes against the natural fleshly desires of every woman alive. We are not naturally respectful, modest, or gentle. And that is, I mean, speaking from a woman's perspective here, that's work. That takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of work to do that in a relationship. And it's actually, Hmm. I think, one of the reasons why I am still single, because I have yet to meet the man that I can put myself in submission to. And Hmm. I'm not willing to put myself in that intimate relationship until I meet a man that I'm able to respect and submit to. Yeah. Because otherwise it's going to be one of those situations where we're going to be head to head and fighting all the time. And in that same passage, it says husbands are to live with understanding and show honor in, in another word, cherish their wives as a weaker vessel. That's another one that gets in the crawl of women. Uh, the weaker vessel. The, they don't like being referred to as a weaker, weaker vessel, but unfortunately it's the truth. If you put an average man up against beside an average woman, she is, will be physically weaker. Mm-hmm. It's just the way God made us. You know, it's whenever, whenever I encounter that phrase, I always picture, um, uh, Grecian urns mm-hmm. and you know, the, the big stout one that holds the ale is a man and the, uh, thin-walled one that's beautifully put together with the glossy paint and everything is mm-hmm. is the uh the woman i i, I don't know why that <laughs> comes to mind it's just probably just a vessel reference the vessel but, reference yeah but this is yeah. it but this is interesting because in the same passage it says yet joint heirs of grace so mm-hmm. we are equal participants in god's grace and it points that out is that even though the woman is the weaker vessel we are equal before God and in and, and our access to God's grace. And so then you look at in Ephesians five twenty two through 23, where it once again reiterates women are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. So now we, we, we've got a picture of why this is important. Yeah, right? exactly. This is the crux of it. This is the crux of it. We're supposed to respect the husband as our head because Christ is the head of the church. And then it turns it on its head and says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to lay down your life for your wives because Christ laid down his life for the church. That is the ultimate sacrifice. So there's you, they're supposed to respect and cherish them as their own bodies. And, th- and this is one verse I will quote, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So... If we apply these two principles to the debates that we see going on in the red pill, men are upset because they're disposable. They're treated as disposable. And women are upset because they don't, they feel like they don't have enough power or control that men, men have all the power and men have all the control, but that's the way God set it up. Yeah. God set it up so that we would submit to our husband's leading because he loves us enough to give his life for us. It's intended to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. And and this is the thing is, is that if it's properly applied, you'll see that both are sacrificing their own comfort and their own control for the other. And if it's mutual, then there shouldn't be that that whole concern over who's in control and who has the power. Yeah. 
And believe me, there are plenty of times where I would much rather uh, my wife take over some of the, you know, some of the, the weight of the traditional male role, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the protection and, and providing and it, we're both my wife and I work. So, you know, we're, we're both employed and, and both, uh, providing and everything. But, uh, I feel like there's a, uh, an additional burden. And I, th- I think there is an additional burden on me as, a, as the head of the household to ensure that everything is, is taken care of. And when I mess up, it really weighs on me that that uh, I should have done better. Yeah. And I think that, you know, their statistic of, you know, male suicide and homelessness and all that kind of stuff kind of derives from that because God put a, at least I'm not a man, so I don't know this for sure, but it, it seems to me that God put a desire in every man to be the provider. And when mm-hmm. that can't happen, when there's something that that comes between a man and that obligation to provide, it hits them to the very core, to the very heart of them. Like it just shatters their, I guess their self image of, um, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and that's where that suicide and homelessness comes because it just destroys them. It's like, I cannot provide for my family and it just destroys them. And women suffer from, from different self-esteem issues. But I think that there is something that is part of our gender that God gave us certain desires and and those desires complement. Men have the desire to provide and women have the desire to nest. And mm-hmm. and those two things go together like peanut butter and chocolate. I mean they're different but <laughs> you got your chocolate is my peanut butter. <laughs> and I guess if you like peanut butter and chocolate together, that would be how they go together. Um, oh come on! <laughs> Who doesn't like peanut butter and chocolate? Yeah. So, I think that we come back to we come around to the fact that their genders were designed by God to hold specific roles, and when we fight yep. against those roles, that's where this this um, sin nature really erupts, and we see it yeah. in the Red Pill. I mean, if you haven't watched it and you're still listening to this discussion. It's something that is very prevalent in in the way these two sides come head to head, the anger and the words that flow freely and <laughs> the, the act they make a lot of accusations, both specific and general mm-hmm. which uh, are out and out contrary yeah to to the biblically established roles. And again, I want to stress they're complementary. One is not better than the other. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things it, being a man, I see it. I, I look at the feminist side and I, I, I see them uh, accusing me as a complementarian uh, of um, denigrating women and considering them less important because, you know, because I, I hold to the biblical instruction, but it it is not, it just is not true. Mm -mm. It was very interesting. in one of the extra interviews, it wasn't actually in the documentary. uh, And I think I'll pick it out and put the video in our show notes so that you can watch it for yourself. Um, But one of the ones I watched the interviewer made the point of saying that women knock themselves off their own pedestal 
and attempted to climb man's pedestal. So it wasn't that women were lower than men. They were on a different pedestal. Mm -hmm. And they looked over and saw what men had, and they wanted it so badly that they climbed down off their own pedestal and tried to climb man's (laughs) pedestal. And I thought that was the best way of putting it. We actually both used the, uh, the metaphor in here about the grass always being greener. Yeah. So this whole debate about you know, are, is women, woman less than man and is man, uh, disposable and all of that stuff. Uh, there's and so how do they see each and other? How they see each other. Uh, we've actually, I think reached a point where we need to take a break. So I think this is a good place to leave a cliffhanger, you know, <laughs> and, and make everybody come back. Are to- we going to get Thanos to snap? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, once again, I'll just remind everybody, if you want to comment on the show notes, these the show notes for this episode are going to be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 82. Mm-hmm. And you can send us email at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Call us at 903-231-2221 and leave a message. Um, you can also leave voice messages on the show notes. There's there's actually a link to do that. So if you just want to Yay. You know, do that there, uh, come join our discussion group on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to have you there. We're we're trying out a new platform while we're recording this. We may end up having some open uh, audio forums in the future. If anybody's interested in that, let us know. That that's something yeah. that we may be able to do. You know, just like open a chat room and uh, a, like an audio chat room and have people come in and and roundtable a topic. That would be really fun. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to give us feedback for the next episode because we are going to do a, a second part on the red pill and. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are... Is it going to be the blue pill? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the blue pill in the next next episode. <laughs> um, but we're going to record that right away, so there won't be any uh, time. Even though there'll be time between, you might have to wait a month or two um, before we release the second episode. They were recorded back to back. So, uh, But do give us feedback. We are intrigued in hearing what other people say, especially if they've seen the red pill and want to yeah. chime in on you know their takeaways from the documentary or some of the other videos that are out there on this topic so uh, do contact us so i wanted to to thank our supporters uh, at patreon.com we have a new supporter amanda john who is um just recently upped her support to a level that we can thank her publicly so thank you amanda yeah thank you so much for uh, joining our patreon cloud uh, we also want to thank uh, craig hardy richard french and stephen brown the second for their monthly support and we would dearly thank you guys. yeah thank you so much uh, you can join our supporters by going to patreon.com slash are you just watching and give us you know give us a, a, a little monthly gift so that we can Uh, continue to do what we're doing and we thank you so much for your support it is very helpful it is very helpful uh don't forget to subscribe rate and review us on itunes and uh, like our page on facebook uh follow us or follow both of us on twitter i'm at twitter as at e franklin i'm on twitter as at renchepley (laughs) r-e-n-c-h-e-p-l-e and you can follow us there and i've believe that's it for our social media for now. Maybe eventually we'll get on some of the others, but that's enough for me. I have too much trouble keeping Snapchat. track of what I chat. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> um, so I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And thank you so much for listening. And don't just watch. 
Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.